We're going to jump right in. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 John 5. If you don't have a Bible, slip your hands up. The ushers will grab you one. Um, we've been working through 1 John, and the handout is again wrong because I keep trying to end it sooner than we have time for when I start studying. So um, last week, if you remember, we talked about um, prayer, and we talked about it specifically in, the, in, the, in the, the reality that God promises us something very unique. He promises to that not only that he hears us, he promises to listen to us, like literally to, to tune himself to listen to us and, and to act and to do what we ask of him according to his will. And I shared with you last week, it was hard for me because there's been so many times that I pray and, and so many times that I've felt like I've prayed and we looked at all the, or some of the kind of things that go along with prayer where I just have felt like I didn't necessarily pray right or, or that God wasn't really listening. And, and, and if we're not careful, when we, when we hear something like God hears us and God moves in that according to his will and it doesn't happen, our faith can be shaken. Our faith can be shaken to the core and we can, we can start wrestling with, okay, well, d- does he really hear us? And we can, start, we can start questioning some of the very truths that we know, like God is good, God is his sovereign, he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, all the truths that, that the Bible does say. And so this week, um, unfortunately for, for all of us, is, is actually harder than last week for me. Um, this week is, is very difficult because um, if you're one of those people that likes resolve, you like, you know, you like, you like resolution to something, you're going to be just mad today because there's no resolve to this, this text. In fact, if you, if, I, I want to promise you, I'm going to give you a bunch of information, a bunch of stuff about the scripture here, and we're not going to really be able to land on exactly what it means and exactly where to go from there. So, so some of us, that, that can be scary because it's like, well, no, we have to have an answer. And I'm probably going to spend some time later um, talking about this, but, but I think knowledge sometimes is the very um, direct enemy of God. And, and I'll say that, I'll flesh this out a long time away, I, that's just free, I was just saying that, but, but a sense that, that you and I lose our wonder with God, and we, we, we have to know every single thing. And so when we come to something that we don't know, we're not comfortable with the fact that we just may not know. And really, it's, it's an issue that, that it's at the root of the fact of who is God in our life. Are we God or is God God? And so before we jump in, I want to kind of remind you, although we're going to get to a text that's really hard, um, it's difficult to understand, and it's difficult to even apply, I, I want to remind you of a couple things. That, that one is, is, is this world is broken. It's messed up. And I, I'm pretty sure that all of us know that and have experienced that, but the, it's messed up because of sin. It's messed up because of the, the, the sin is in direct opposition of God, and God is good. God is, is sovereign. He's in control. The consequences and, and the, the, the drastic disasters you see around you does not negate the fact that God is still in control or sovereign. And that's hard for us because our brains don't compute that. At times we don't understand how a God who is good can allow so much bad to happen. Or a God who's all-powerful and all-knowing can allow these things to happen in our life. And those are the things that shake at the root of who, who we are when it comes to our, our, our foundation of faith. And we have to remember that, that John this entire time has been dealing with a Gnostic belief, a belief that Jesus wasn't enough, a belief that it was Jesus plus or, or Jesus really wasn't this way or he wasn't truly fully God and fully man. And these people were attacking from within the church around, around who Jesus was. And so this entire book, John has been working very, very hard. He's been in this letter hitting, this is who Jesus is. This is who you are in Jesus. This is how you can be confident in who Jesus is. And last week he hit... This is, we are, we, because of who Jesus is, because of what he has done and what he is continuing to do, the promises he has given us, because of who God is and, and who Jesus is in God, you can approach God with confidence. 
And he said, you can pray with confidence. And anything according to his will, it will be done. And like I said last week, it's hard because there's a lot of things I've prayed for that I would assume would be according to his will, that they would be done. And they haven't happened, or they don't. But remember, God is without sin, and you and I are not. And so what John's going to do this week is he's going he's to take what he's done every week and what he's done every, every section of Scripture. He's going to give you a promise, and the promise is that God hears us and, and acts according to our will, that God listens to us. And then he gives us an application, but the application this week is messy. And so I'm going to pray real quick, and we're going we're to dive into, into 1 John. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for at times like this when um, it's really hard to understand exactly what it says, God, that you are still present, that you are still good. And it's times like this when I think of, of Job <laughs> complaining, 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 and, and standing true. And then finally, it's like chapter 32 of Job where you finally say, where were you when I did this? Where were you when I did this? And so I think sometimes, God, our questions can no longer be to know more of you and, and more to be that I deserve and that my right is. And, and, and honestly, our questions come to maybe a, a God complex. And so I pray that as we look in the text today that, that you would just move in the hearts of each person here, that you would be glorified and that this wouldn't just, wouldn't just fall on deaf ears, God, but that the hearts in this room for every single person would be open to knowing what it is you specifically want to say to them when it comes to prayer. So I just thank you for this time and I pray that you would just um, be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So it's chapter, um, chapter five and, and like I said, I keep trying to, your handout says we're gonna do more but we're not because there's just too much. And he, he hits this section and then he goes into the you know. We may know, we may know. So that's a, that's a big section that we're gonna hit in the, in, in the coming weeks that just is, is awesome as he's ending his book. But, so, so he's written this letter. He's telling everyone like, look, this is who Jesus is. Now we can have confidence. And, and if you, so right before that, I'm gonna read just, if you know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we has, have asked of him. Now 16, where we are today. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that, that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should, should pray for that. All wrongdoing or all unrighteousness is sin. But there is a sin that does not lead to death. And so, so John applies our prayers and our prayer life to, to our brothers. And it's interesting because this, this, this text right here is, 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 is very difficult. But before we do that, I want to real quickly, this isn't the first time that John in this letter has talked about sin. So I want to real quickly, because see, what he does is every single chapter of this book, every single chapter of this letter, he actually talks about sin. And so I want to real quickly, it's in, in chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and now in 5, he talks about sin. And so here's some of the things he's said about sin. Jesus appeared to take it away. If you abide in Jesus, then you don't habitually sin. He says, if you keep sinning, then you don't really know Jesus. If you practice sin, then you are of the devil, not of Jesus. And that Christians cannot practice sin because God's seed abides in them. And then in verse 17, he says that, that we know that, that all sin is unrighteousness. All wrongdoings is sin. So, so he has all these things to do to say about sin. And then he comes to, of all the applications of praying, of all the applications of God doing what he asks of us, or what we ask of him. He applies it to prayer for our brothers. And this is a very difficult text. Because, see, he's basically said over this time that if you have a habit or a life that practices sin, independent living from Jesus Christ is manifested, then you have never seen or know Jesus. And he has been saying this the whole time. You either love God 
or love the world. You either love Jesus or you hate him. You either love your brothers. That shows you love Jesus. You can't say you love Jesus without loving your brothers. He says, actually, you can't even say you love Jesus with hating your brothers. And so he's been drawing this divide with no middle ground. And he's been saying that, that at the root of this, sin is, sin is, is the issue. And again, he's trying to get everyone founded on the fact that, that Jesus Christ is our advocate in sin. When we mess up, because we will mess up, again, it doesn't, we've talked a lot about it. You'll just have to go back through all the chapters. But see, the problem is, is that you and I, a lot of us feel like we are without sin. Now, none of us say that. None of us would go and say, well, I'm perfect. Well, maybe some of you do, but no one likes you. Um, but, um, <laughs> no, but none of us will say that I am without sin. But see, we just word it differently. We just live like our sin isn't as bad as everyone else's. Or our sin is better than someone else's sin. And so it's really important that you understand that, first off, sin is the issue. Sin is the, is the mess in this world. You, you wonder why this world's so broken. It's because of sin. You wonder why you have consequences in your life. It's because of sin. And it's just a messy world. Romans, Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He doesn't say some. He doesn't say only on Fridays. He says all of you. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But thank God he brought Jesus to us. Right? He gave us this way to be right. So, so it's important that we understand what sin is and that the fact that, that John has the entire time said, you can't live a life of habitual sin and be of Christ, okay? And so the, he says that there are two kinds of sin, and, and we know that there's lots of sins, but he says there's two kinds. There's sin that does not lead to death and sin that leads to death, and that's, the, that's what he says in this text. And now we don't really know if when he talks about sin leading to death, if he's talking about physical death or spiritual death. We don't really know if, if he's, when he says that if you pray for someone that, that is doing a sin that's not leading to death, that they will restore life, if that's restoring them, or if that literally is life in Christ. In fact, it, I, as we studied, as I studied this week, none of the scholars disagree or agree on this. They all just say it could be one of many things. And there's a lot of views, and so kind of make it a rule of myself, if, if a bunch of scholars that are a lot smarter than me and spend a lot longer time praying about it and, and studying through this and none of them can agree, most likely I'm probably not going to come to some realization. Now, God could do that, but I'm probably not going to be able to say, well, this is what it is. So if you like resolve, you're going to just not be comfortable today. See, John is, is he's presenting a, a hard concept. He's saying that we are going to go about life and we're going to, he's telling us in, in the accordance to prayer that we're to pray for someone to be restored that's doing a sin that doesn't lead to death. But then he says, look, if, they, if it's a sin leading to death, I'm not telling you to pray for that. He doesn't forbid that, but he's saying, don't really pray for that. And so what is a sin leading to death? That's the first thing we need to answer. And good news is we won't answer. But let me tell you what it's not. The sin, uh, a sin leading to death is not some terrible sin that God doesn't forgive. I have to say that. And some of you will say, well, wait, we hear about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But literally, it is, this is not saying that there is a sin that you can do that's so bad that God would never forgive it. Because we know that Jesus died for all sins. Doesn't say some. Doesn't say an asterisk. Even when Jesus is talking about blasphemy, the Holy Spirit will get there in a second. He goes right after that and says that Jesus died for all blasphemes. So, so we, we know that, that it's not that. Second thing is we need to say is, is some people believe, and I just, you cannot land here biblically, and especially in this letter John has, has talked about it, is that, that some would lose their salvation. You would, you would come to Jesus, and this is a sin that you did, and you're, you're it, you're out. And that, that, that 
is really speaks against, even when he was talking about people leaving the church, he said they were never of us. And so I know that that's, this may divide and people may get feisty about that. You can just, you can have fun with that one and, and send me nasty emails later if you want. But, but the, the point is, is that we don't see scripturally, because it doesn't hold true to the fact that God keeps all whom he saves. So we can't, when you're, when you're looking at this stuff, you can't, you can't take a belief that contradicts another thing in this Bible. You can't, they, they have to reconcile. Sometimes we may, they could be both and, and whatever, but you can't do that. So those are two that it's not. Those are a couple of people, that, a couple of scholars that maybe said some of that. But here, here, here are some of the things that it could be, okay? So this is, this is what a sin leading to death could be. It could be literally a person dies physically. Now, I haven't had a lot of experience where I see someone do something in sin and they just flop out right in front of me, but you know, it, it's happened biblically. So it could mean that. And I want to point out a couple stories. There's three, three instances in the New Testament alone where it happened. And one of them is um, Ananias and, and Sapphira. It's in Acts 5. And, and in Acts is the, the first early recorded church. It's what all the churches are like, I want to be an Acts 2 church, right? It's this church that was devoted themselves to each other. And what they were doing, they were so devoted that they were taking all of their all of their things, all of their stuff, and they were giving it. They were selling it and giving it to the apostles. And the apostles were distributing it to all the people so that no one had need. So open up your checkbooks. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. So, so they were distributing it. And, and, and Ananias and Sapphira, and it says Ananias did this and Sapphira knew, but they sold some land. And we don't get the necessarily the, the dollar amount or whatever, but it, you know, they sold the land for, for $10,000 and then they gave $5,000. And that's not bad. But, but what they did in that, and, and it actually, what the, the problem was is that he lied about it. They said that it was all of it. So they said, we gave everything. It's all here. And the, pro, and, and the apostles said to them that he yielded to Satan and had not lied to men, but had lied to God. And then he breathed his last right in front of the church, just thump on the ground. Okay, and so they carry him. The, the story goes on to tell us they carry him out when the people that buried him are coming back in, his wife's in there. And she confirms that, and she drops. So then they go and bury her. And so there's a story of a sin that led to a physical death right then. But here's the thing that's interesting about that, and this is, this is why I think this is all around the fact that he says if you see a brother sinning, because that's where this word gets tough, because a brother would mean someone that is of God. And Ananias and, and Sapphira were in the church. They were of God. They were brothers and sisters. But they were killed what seemed very early. Second one is in um, Corinthians, Paul talking about a man sleeping with his father's wife. Um, and Paul tells the church he's grieved because they were not dealing with it. Now, I want to just as a side note real quickly, this is one of the hardest things about being a part of a church is that there is sin in all of us. It's brokenness. And, and, and a lot of times, because we're, we, we view man's reputation of us higher than God's identity, um, we, we, we shy away from church discipline. We shy away from the fact that there is, that sin is sin and it needs to be dealt with. And I'm not saying like judgmental and kick people out. I'm saying there's a, there's a biblical model to deal with it. We get that in Matthew. And so church discipline is, is important. And, and that's one of the things that's, that's grieving Paul here is that the churches, they know that this is going on and they're just doing communion. They're breaking bread with this person like it's not, not a big deal. And so it says that, that you need to deal with the sin. Um, it doesn't mean you need to kick someone out or... or Bring, it's, it just means that you need to help bring a sinner to confession and to repentance. But in, in this story, he, they're dealing with this. And so then Paul goes in 1 Corinthians 5, 5, the end of the, end of the story, he says, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. 
again, it's like, man, okay, so we're supposed to, we need to hand him over to Satan so that he, his flesh can be destroyed so that his spirit is saved. Again, it just, it's, it, this is a hard thing for us to wrap our minds around. We also see Paul goes on to talk about in communion and breaking bread with those in another section. So it could mean a physical death. We see a bunch of it in the Old Testament. We, there's three New Testament stories in the early church. We have them. So literally, the sin leading to death could be physical death. And that, that doesn't necessarily contradict anything. Uh, some people don't believe that it's death, physical death, because John has not talked about physical death much at all in this letter. Um, the other thing it could mean is, is the sin leading to death literally means the one sin that we know that Jesus talks about, which is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. He mentioned it in Mark and in Matthew. see it in all the Gospels. And this is, Jesus was referring to a willful rejection of him. This is a willful rejection of him and attributing Jesus' works to Satan. Now, the thing that's hard with this is, is that some of us would say, and this could work, but we, we would say, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is a continued lifelong battle of, of rejecting Jesus. And for some cases, that, that's the case. But in this text, when he's talking about it, he's talking it as a present. Someone who, who rejects the Holy Spirit and, and, and will never repent. So at that point, they have committed the sin that leads to death. And so he could, he could be talking about that. And he could, he could be using this, and this would work as well. But, but again, it, it's, it's difficult for it just to be that because, because of the word brothers and, and, and working around that. And the third thing is that it could be, is a sin leading to death maybe referring to Antichrist? Because see, John's talked about this already. He's talked about there's false prophets and antichrists among you, people that are, that are against God. They're, they're, they're literally, they're, they're false prophets. They are in sin, and, and they're in the sin that's going to lead to death. And he's basically saying you don't really need to pray for them. He's, he's not forbidding you to pray for them. And where it gets really tricky is, is how do you know if they are, right? And the other thing it could be is that he's referring to those who proclaim to be Christians but are not. And John has talked a lot about this. Those that, that, that come to church, they're in your community group, they, they, they sometimes walk the walk when it's convenient, but whose lives are incompatible with the truths of 1 John. Those that deny that Jesus is the Son of God who came into flesh, they won't let him be his Lord. They refuse to obey his commands or walk in darkness, deny that they are sinners. They love the world or hate their brothers. They aren't overcomers. And so it's a chance, there's a possibility that when he's using the word brothers, he's using it like loosely in the sense that these are people that aren't of us. And again, it could be. Some people just say, no, you know what, you can't do that. But it kind of gets to the spot and say, okay, well, it could be any of those. And so there you go. Leave more confused and enjoy studying that some more, guys, and figure out what it, what it means to you. But here, here's the thing. Whatever view you take, it's extremely difficult promise to apply in our life no matter what view you take, because here, he's basically telling us that, that there are some people that you are going to plead with God about. Your family members, your brothers, a coworker, a friend, that you're going to plead with God about, and they are, they are, they are, they are not going to come. You'll never see that fruit. And that is a hard truth because, and again, he's not saying, well, don't pray for them. He's, he's just saying that, look, and, and maybe, maybe, and this is my own, thought maybe John is, is doing something that he knows inspired by God how fickle we are and how some of you may be praying for a spouse or a friend or a family member and you never see any fruit and that may at the rock the core of who you are and who Jesus is
And so maybe he's just giving us a look, look, according to his will. Now, God knows. But just so you know, some, some you're going to pray for, it's not going to happen. It's, it's not going to happen. And, and you can pray hard, but it's not going to happen. And maybe he's, he's, he's given us a, a, not an out, but giving us a way to maybe realize that we aren't in control. And just know that. So basically he's saying, you uh, pray for someone that's doing a sin that's not leading to death. God hears you, and he'll give life to them. And life, like I said, life could be restoring them if they're already brothers or new life. We, we, again, we, don't, we just don't know. What's really hard about that is when it comes down to you personally. It's really hard when you're begging God for your spouse or for your friend. It's really hard. I mean, I've prayed hard for marriages to last. And some of them to this day are already going through the divorce process. That stinks. And, and I don't know why John chose this application for prayer. I felt like he could have picked a lot of other applications for prayer that really would have solidified me wanting to pray. But at this time, in these things, no matter what view you take, there are some that you will never have answered. And that's tough because we love. And that's tough and hard because, because we enjoy being in community with each other. God made us to do that. So John applies this confidence and prayer to our relationships with each other. He tells us we should be alert to those who are caught up in sin and we should be quick, quick to pray for these people. So let me ask you a question. How often have you seen someone drifting in the wrong direction and turned the other way? Just, just a simple, simple question. How often have you, have you seen someone in sin and ignored it? And you had good reasons because you didn't want to ruin the friendship. You didn't want to come across judgmental. Well, the Bible says do not judge. That context is do not condemn. When it says do not judge, it's in the light of you are not allowed to condemn. There's only one judge. As, as followers of Jesus, we are allowed to judge the fruit. We are to test the spirits in a loving way. Now, Christians do a really good job, really good job of ruining that, but, but we're, we're, called, we're called to test that. So we are allowed to judge, and we, but we get immobilized by scriptures like look at the, don't look past the plank in your own eye at the speck at others. Jesus is talking about hypocrisy there, and I think the enemy loves to lie to us and say, well, you know what? You're not perfect, so why would you dare go to that person? And that's what John's saying right here. He's saying, look, we are to be burdened for each other. We're to be burdened for each other. And according to God's will, as we pray, he will restore people. Do you believe that? So if we're, if we're brothers, how many of us actually treat people like competitors? Not like you're in competition with them, but let me, let me tell you how this plays out. A lot of us have the problem where if we see someone struggling, we start feeling a little bit better about ourselves. Whew, at least I'm not that bad. Or we, we, we start feeling better about ourselves in the sense that, like, self-righteous. I would never, never, ever do that as you're gossiping to someone else about it. I can't believe I would never choose one sin for another. And the interesting thing, Although there is a sin leading to death and a sin not leading to death, what does John say just at the end to make sure everyone understands? All of it's sin. 
all wrongdoings are sin. All unrighteousness is sin. All of it needs to be repented of. I think we also need to realize that, that, that no sin is minor. This is just a big deal, guys, because see, some of us are so good at just, we're good at just slight lies. I was only a little drunk. We only fooled around a little bit before marriage. And we start minimizing the fact that all sin, all of it is unrighteousness. All of it is, is attributing to consequences and the brokenness of this world. And you and I, we, we start viewing sin as, as minor. We see someone sinning and we're like, you yeah, know, that, that guy's just, he's a little harsh to his wife, but, you know, whatever. We don't recognize that, like, look, he's called to love his wife a very specific way if he's in Christ. I also need to understand that I think the problem is, is that you and I, we feel like we're on an island. Yeah, sure, you're sitting next to someone in here, but you, you view your walk with God as my walk, my individual walk, and no one else messes with it. How many, how many stories in the Bible do we see the sin of one person affecting the entire country of Israel? The wrongdoing of a few destroying many for years. I think we forget that, that we're connected. God has us as a, as a community. As, this is a, a small C church of his large church, and we're connected. That's why our issues are the issues of, of our brothers and sisters in the Philippines. That's why our issues and our sin issues are, as a community are, are together. So we can't just say, well, you know, they're on their own. Have fun. We have to view ourselves more connected than that. But I think one of the biggest ones for us is that we just cannot be indifferent to sin. I think we've, we've heard things like slippery slope or backsliding and it's been abused and beaten into your head. It's like, well, if you, you, know, if you have a candy bar, then you're going to be 400 pounds overweight in, in 10 years. And we just kind of make this huge slippery slide. You know, if you, you want a little bit of money for yourself, watch out, the world's going to end and you'll have a lot. And, and it's true, I guess, in the long run if you're not careful. But I think the problem is, is that we become indifferent to sin. We just become indifferent. Ah, this world's messed up anyways. You know, we're all broken people. And we, we, almost, we almost idolize the fact that we're all broken. And we just go, well, we're broken, so, you know, it's cool. God's grace is sufficient, which it is. But, but this entire time, John has been saying over and over and over again, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you no longer have tastes for the things of this world. He is, he is refining you to be more and more and more into the image of Christ. But I think, you know, if we truly applied this book, and we're going to get into the we knows at the end of this, and he's going to hammer us with the whole book in three verses. If we truly applied this book, it's, it's that you, to love God, you have to, you have to, have to, have to love other people. They're not separate. And I think the problem is in our indifference, we act very unloving to other people. If I see someone compromising in sin, and this is, people expect it from you, go, oh, you're a pastor, you have to do this. It's not any more fun. If I see someone compromising in sin, I know that this sin is going to separate or isolate them from God and their relationship. It's going to affect him. It's going to isolate them from each other. If I truly love you and care about you, then I will be concerned. And my first action is to call a bunch of people to gossip about it and tell everyone about all your sin. No, my first action is to do what? Pray. 
to pray. Here's the thing, and this is, this is what's silly. This is what God wrecked me with this week. If someone comes to your mind and you think, wow, I, I can't believe they're doing it, and you're a follower of Jesus, could it be not you as a high and mighty self-righteous observing some sin, but God putting in your heart to pray for them? Do we actually believe that God speaks to us and says, no, I want you to be praying for this person because I have a promise for you. If it's not a sin leading to death, which we don't know what that is, but if it's not, and you pray about it, I'll move. I'll answer. I will give life. 1921, Thomas Edison said, he had many inventions under his credit at this point, many of them. He said, we don't know the millionth part of 1% about anything. We don't know what water is. We don't know what light is. We don't know what gravitation is. We don't know what electricity is. We don't even know what heat is. We have a lot of hypotheses about these things, but that is all. But we do not let our, let our ignorance about all these things deprive us of their use. And see, I think when it comes to prayer, I think we, because we hear last week all the conditions at which we're supposed to ask in prayer and, and, and we, we hear, okay, well now there's another one like, I guess we don't have to pray for someone leading to death. And we just kind of get immobilized in that and we just don't pray. But yet we know, we know, Luke 18, Jesus tells us that we are to pray always, continually, always praying, always seeking God. And remember, it has nothing to do about some kind of repetition, but everything to do about the fact that our life with God is about relationship. Yes, he's Lord. Yes, he's Savior, but it is a relationship with God. So we are to pray. So I will ask you, you heard about prayer last week. Did you pray this week? Have you spent any time? If you say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, did you pray? And, and here's the next question. Do you believe there's any power in prayer? He has a promise, a huge promise for us. We don't get the application, but he has a huge promise for us. See, we should be asking God to awaken and restore the people whose lives are around us. And I understand this is hard, but but here's the thing. Sin is ugly. It's deceitful. It promises things it cannot deliver. And a lot of time it's blinding. We, we need each other. So wherever you land on what is a sin leading to death or not, is it brothers or is it not brothers? Or they ones, I don't know what's going on. The point of the text, I believe, is John is just calling us to pray. To actually truly be burdened for our brothers and sisters burdened in a way that I am not content not seeking our Lord who is the only provider of peace and truth and surrender and life. The only one that can fix or solve any of the issues or the consequences of this broken world is our God. I'm not content not praying for him. So I ask you, who, who in this last week came to mind and you didn't pray for him? Or you did pray for him? Did God ask you to do something through that prayer? A lot of times you'll be praying for someone. Man, God, they're, they're really hungry. And I really hope something happens for them. Oh, I'm really full. What do I do with this extra half sandwich? Like, God, most of the time, brings someone to your mind for a reason. He wants, he, he, it's not an accident. He wants you to be praying for them. And he very well may be asking you to do something else in that. But at the beginning, it starts with praying for them. And so the band's going to come up in a second, and we're going we're gonna to pray. But, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you guys. And I'm going to ask, maybe, maybe there's someone, as I've been talking about this, there's been a, there's been a um, person that keeps coming to your mind, and you've displaced it because you felt like, man, I'm just being judgmental, I'm being too hard on them, or maybe there's brokenness in the relationship, and so there's anger in there. 
I'm just gonna I'm just gonna ask you maybe don't even listen to what I'm praying and just you spend some time praying for them but I also know in a, in a room this size with a bunch of um, imperfect people there's probably a lot of sin in our lives I mean a lot of it and and sometimes it's 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 debilitating and sometimes it's frustrating and honestly maybe some of you right now are just you don't even know how to get out of it you can't do it and so I'm gonna I'm gonna pray for God to release you of, of your sin to restore you but but I want to encourage you if you're in the middle of something right now where you're in sin the, the Bible tells us all sin will be called to light all darkness will become light in Christ and and if you want to be released of the power of that you need to repent you need to surrender let someone pray for you. That's, that's, I think, the other really huge underlining of this text is that we need each other. God does not design us to be alone. We need each other. And we, we display that need for each other in wrong ways. But at the root of it, it's good because it was designed by God. We're intended to live together. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll sing some more. And I, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, guys, I hope that God wrecks you this week with someone I hope that he wrecks you so much that you pray for him and he says that you need to have a conversation with them. And I hope that you can have that conversation and doing it the way that Jesus would, full of grace and truth. Not void of either. Where you could come to someone and say, look, I, I love you and the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I care too much about you. And this may make our friendship awkward, but I, I fear our God and I love our God and my identity to him more than my reputation among any man. And so I'm gonna lovingly come to you. Now here's the challenge. Some of you are spouses and you're thinking of the person next to you and you're both gonna be like, yeah, I'm going to them. So I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna ask, would you pray for yourself to receive truth? If you find yourself, if someone's coming to you, now look, we're messed up. They may not come with the right words. They may come a little too direct or they maybe will misquote something, but, but if they were prayerful about it and God pointed you to them, would you just come with the chance of, I'm gonna sit still for a little bit and just listen, God, what truth in this do you need to speak to me? It hurts, but God, I, I want to be free of whatever isn't of you because like we've seen in, inspired by you in John, he's told us over and over and over again, it's God or not. There's no middle ground. Jesus or not. Father, I thank you that you gave us a way out of our brokenness, that you gave us a way out of um, our sin. And God, as we sit in a room this size and we think about a text that's very unclear, I thank you that you um, have put the knowledge of who you are in our hearts. God, that, that when, we have, when we surrender our life to you, that your spirit comes inside of us and gives us all that we do need to know. And it's interesting when we come to text and we can't discern exactly what it means, but God, I just, I hope, I hope that in the confusion we would sit in a spot of wonder and awe knowing that we can't truly understand the ways of you. I think of Job, and, and, and he didn't understand what was going on and didn't understand what was going on, and pretty soon starts questioning and questioning. It's like you allowed him to question and question and question. It's like chapter 32 when you finally say, Job, where were you when I created the earth? Where were you when I knit you together in my mother's womb, in your mother's womb? Where were you? It's, it's almost like you just say, Job, I, I want you to understand, but you, you're trying to take an understanding to a level of you being God. And so I, I pray that none of us would, would try and be God's God, that we would surrender our life to you. God, I want to pray for each person in this room right now in the sin. It is here. It is present. Your word tells us, even this, this, this book has told us, that we will sin. But it follows that up with we have an advocate in Jesus Christ. We have, we have someone that is vying and fighting for us. 
and each of us that have surrendered our life to you are no longer defined by our sins. We're not known by our sins, but we're known by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so, God, I pray for those in the room that are, that are minimalizing the sin in their life. It's not bad enough. Maybe they're thinking right now, you know what, I, I don't want to do it. So they're just making a commitment. I'm not going to do it right now, but they're not willing to confess or repent. God, would you give people the courage to go to brothers and sisters to pray for redemption and freedom that you promise will come in your son, Jesus Christ. God, for those in the room that have just surrendered to sin, they're angry, they're bitter, they're just, they're just immersed. They feel like there's, their head's barely above water. Uh, Jude, you remind them that your hand is there, never pulled away. You're there to pull them out, God. God, would you release us of the sin? God, for those in the room that have brothers or sisters or friends or spouses that they know are in sin, that claim to be followers of you, Jesus, oh, that stinks. I pray for the courage and the words that you promised to give us when we don't know what to say for a conversation to happen, God. Not a condemning, not a, not a hip, hip, full of hypocrisy conversation, God, but a conversation of I love you. How can we get you free of this? And would you please, please prepare our hearts to receive that as you made us to live together and people are gonna see our lives. We're not meant to be hidden little vessels on our own, pretending like everything's fine, God. We're meant to be able to air our dirty laundry with each other. And I pray that you would just bind the enemy's hands in gossip, bind the enemy's hands in, in, in all the other things that our flesh and selfishness would love to do with these sins as people confess, God. And truly, would we truly, truly just seek you. God, I pray for, for those in the room that, that time and time and time again, they come, they come, they hear, they words, they spend time, they've been spending time around you and they like everything about you, but they don't like you as Lord. Yeah, would you break them to surrender? God, for those that, that we're all praying for, for friends, family, loved ones, coworkers, spouses, kids. God, as we plead for their salvation, we plead for them to have life. God, would you renew them in front of us? Would you show us that, that, that you are actively working and you are in the process of making all things new? God, that you love us in spite of us. You love us in spite of the sins that maybe we are carrying. You already know about those sins and still choose to love us. So God, I pray that we would no longer be comfortable or complacent in, in only bad enough sins, God, but that we would recognize all sin is what it is, unrighteousness and apart from you, and that you would continue to break those branches that are not connected to you, the main vine, God. So I thank you for this time. And again, I pray for courage, pray for faithfulness. I pray for us to have an amazing amount of both grace and truth as Jesus was full of both, God. As we, we have conversations, as we seek you, God, may we be reminded of the, of the foundation that our identity is in you and you alone. That no reputation among men shakes that identity. We pray all this in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen.